Welcome to Sure Foundation Lutheran Church's podcast channel. The following sermon was preached on May 22nd, 2022, on the basis of Acts chapter 14, verses 8 to 22. Grace, mercy, peace, and joy are yours through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. When someone asks you, how are you, which maybe someone actually already did that this morning, right? What are they exactly asking you? Uh, a lot of you when, you, when you hear that phrase, how are you, um, you, you kind of think of it as the opening of a conversation, right? It's kind of how you, you kick things off. Um, in some ways, you might not actually think of it as somebody asking how you actually are, <laughs> They might not be all that interested in how you are. When they ask you that, it, it's kind of a, this throwaway question that, that kicks off the conversation before you move on to either the main purpose of the conversation or just, you know, the, the next thing. And so if you're being asked the question, how are you, um, no matter if you're, you're good or bad, you, you probably just say, good, <laughs> and then you're on to the, the next thing, right? But prayerfully... You probably also have those people in your life that when they ask, how are you, um, either the, the, the tone of their voice lets you know that they actually want to know how you are, or they just have that relationship with you, where they, they actually want to know how you are, they actually care about you and, and how life has been, been going for you. And so, in that case, if someone's asking you, how are you, and they actually want to know... How do you answer that question? Do you answer on, on the basis of your emotions, let's say? That, that whatever mood you happen to be in that day, that kind of governs or, or determines your answer to that, that question. That's maybe one option, right? Um, maybe another option is to answer on the basis of your, your health. If you're feeling in good health today or if you're uh, not feeling in good health today, that might determine how you answer that question, how are you? Or uh, you could do like, I think what most people do is they kind of summarize everything that has been happening around them, everything that's been happening to them, for them recently. They summarize all of those things and that determines how they are. So for example, if life has been kind of disappointing for you over the last week or month or so, if it's been distressing in some way, you might kind of average all of those things up and that might inform your answer to that question. When someone asks, how are you, you may say, you know, not so good. Or maybe the last week or month has been exciting. Maybe you had somebody graduating in your household. Maybe there was a confirmation of sorts. It's an exciting time and so... On the, on the basis of that, you would answer and you'd say, things have been great. Things have been really fun. You kind of get the idea, right? If circumstances, if the, the average of your circumstances most recently have been good, then you say good. If there's more, been more good than bad, you say good. If there's been more bad than good, then, then you'd say, well, I'm not doing so, so well. Going back to our, our first reading a little bit from the book of Acts, 
If someone were to ask the Apostle Paul, after his trip to Lystra, how are you, how do you suppose he would have answered? Paul's on his first mission journey here. Uh, he's with his, his buddy Barnabas, and they started this mission journey with him and Barnabas and this guy named John Mark, and they had already been to the island of Cyprus, which was off the western coast of, of Israel, um, and then they made their way north into Asia Minor, what, what we know today as Turkey, uh, to, to the big city up there called Pisidian Antioch, and they preached the gospel there and moved on to Iconium and preached the gospel there, and now they found themselves in a town called Lystra. And when they got to Lystra, there was this man who had been there who, who was unable to walk, he had been crippled since the day that he was born, never able to walk. And so he likely kind of sat near the gates and, and, and begged for, for money or food or, or whatever that, that happened to be just so he could survive. And it seems like Paul and Barnabas kind of set up camp close to him. And they're preaching the gospel to the people that are listening there. Uh, it, it's kind of unclear how long that was going on, how long they were speaking, but this man was hearing what Paul was saying. And then Paul just seems to, to stop and look at this man, and by only the, the power that God could provide, God allowed him to see this man's heart. And we know that, that that's really kind of the first miracle here, isn't it? Uh, God says that, that we don't have the ability to see hearts. Only he can see hearts. Only he can see the, the faith that's in, in here. We can see the, we can see the outward um, actions that flow from faith, but we, we can't see faith and we can't see hearts. But Paul here gets to see this man's heart and see his faith. And then he says to this man, stand up on your feet. Now you imagine being one of the people standing in the crowd at the time thinking of how ridiculous that statement to this man might sound. That They knew that this man had been crippled since the day he was born. He'd never walked a day in his life. But when Paul says, stand up on your feet, you saw what the text said, right? He didn't slowly rise up. He jumped up and he began to walk. It was an amazing miracle that God allowed Paul to do. And that's exactly how it happened. God allowed Paul to do it. This, this wasn't Paul's power that was emanating from him. This was God working through Paul to, to allow this man to walk for the first time in his life, and it was an amazing miracle, but the people in Lystra, they didn't quite see it that way. They saw this amazing thing that, that Paul did, and they thought, in fact, they knew, they were convinced that these were gods. These were gods come down in human form to visit them, the people, and they were humbled by that. They called Barnabas Zeus because maybe Barnabas was the stronger of the two of them. They called Paul Hermes because he was the, the chief speaker. And they were ready to worship them. They were, they were ready to bring their sacrifices to them and treat them as gods. And you know what? Paul and Barnabas, they really could have just gone along with it, couldn't they? It would not have been that difficult. Paul and Barnabas could have known what it was like, could have experienced what it was like to be treated as a god just for a little while. But you notice what Paul and Barnabas did, right? They were distraught. They were appalled at the thought that they would think that they were gods. And so they were so distraught 
that, that they tore their clothes. They were eager to, to, to uh, fix this, this misunderstanding. And they did what was honorable and pleasing to God. What, what we'd hope we'd all do in that scenario, right? They, they'd, take, they'd take the eyes off of them and they'd point them to the one true God. They didn't want the people thinking that they were gods or that they were even special at all. But that this power alone came from God the Father who has, who has made the heavens and the earth, who provides them rain and food. He said he has left that as, as his testimony here. So, so Paul and Barnabas, they, they do what's honorable in God's eyes, what's pleasing to God, and then what happens? They're rewarded, right? No. Then some of the Jews from Antioch and from Iconium, they come and they stir up the crowd against Paul, and then they, they stone him. They throw these stones at him until he's nearly dead. In fact, they think that he is. They think that he's dead, and that's why, why they took off. Paul and Barnabas did the right thing, the thing that was pleasing to God, and yet things still turned out this way. So, if someone were to ask Paul, how are you? How do you suppose he'd answer? Well, if he answered on the basis of his emotions, um, either he, he wouldn't have the strength to speak, right? He was just nearly killed. Um, he'd maybe be really uh, disappointed because here he did something that was pleasing to God, but um, it turned out this way. Or maybe he'd even be angry. Maybe those were some of his emotions. If he answered on the basis of his health, well, maybe he'd he wouldn't even dignify that, that question with an answer. And if he answered on the basis of the things that have been happening to him recently, well, you know what his answer would have been. And Paul had really, you know, from a human perspective, we could understand anyways, every reason to be bitter against God. Here he had done what was pleasing to God, and this is what he got in return. But we see a different spirit in the Apostle Paul. And not just in his words, certainly he ends the section, which we'll talk about in a little bit, with a phrase that indicates he knew. But his actions really communicate more than anything to us that there was a different spirit about the Apostle Paul. Because after the Jews were finished stoning him, they thought he was dead, right? Some of the believers, they kind of crowded around Paul. You might think that they're Maybe they're trying to help him or just kind of see what's going on, see if he's still alive. And then he gets up and he goes back into the city of Lystra. And then the very next day, the next day, him and Barnabas, they leave and they go to the next city. They go to Derby, And they do the same thing in Derby that they had done in the cities before that. They, they preached the gospel. They told people about Jesus. And many people came to believe because of what Paul and Barnabas had preached to them. Don't those actions just speak volumes? <laughs> Paul and Barnabas, they, they didn't give up. Despite the, the threats from the, the Jews, despite nearly being killed, uh, they kept going. They, they kept preaching and, and sharing the good news about Jesus with, with others. It's pretty obvious, just from observing these actions, that Paul had something about him that gave him this endurance to, to continue despite obstacles. 
Paul had joy. This was joy that wasn't tied to his emotions. It had no connection to his emotions. This was joy that had no connection to his health conditions. This was joy that had no connection or dependence on his, his circumstance. It was joy that he would later talk about as he was writing to the Philippians and he was, he was sitting in prison. He wrote to the Philippians and he said this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. He'd write to the, to the Thessalonians and he would say, Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. He'd write to the, the Romans who were a persecuted people in, in, in the city of Rome at that time, under the Roman Empire. And he would encourage them. He would say, may the God of hope fill you with all joy. You see, Paul had this joy that rose above any emotion he could possibly ever feel. Paul had this joy that, that rose above any health problem that he could ever have. Paul had a joy that transcended any earthly circumstance. This was an enduring joy. And it wasn't the joy that always presented itself with laughter and smiles, but it was a joy that allowed him to give thanks in all circumstances. It was a joy found on the quiet certainty that he had in the cross of Christ. It was a spiritual joy. It's a joy similar to the joy the women felt as they're, they're running away from the tomb, realizing that Jesus wasn't dead but alive. It's, it's that kind of joy. It's the kind of joy that Peter felt when, when he was able to have that conversation with Jesus by the, the Sea of Galilee after he had denied Jesus. He had that conversation with Jesus and he was reinstated was forgiven, reminded that he was forgiven. It's the joy that we have knowing that Jesus has risen from the dead. It's the joy that we have knowing that Jesus has completed his work. And that joy that, that, that is yours, it's an enduring joy because nothing and no one can ever take that away from you. No one can put, take Jesus off of that cross no one can put Jesus back into the grave. No one can, can take away what that means for you. Which means no one can take away the fact that you're forgiven in Christ. That's something that you're going to be reminded about again today as we take the Lord's Supper. No one can take away the fact that heaven is yours, that picture that we saw in Revelation. No one can take that away from you. That's yours in Christ. And that gives you an enduring kind of joy. That's true joy. So, after Paul wraps things up in, in Derby, he goes back to Lystra, goes back to Iconium, goes back to Antioch, and they kind of have the same pattern of what they do. They, they strengthen the disciples there and they encourage them in the faith. And then he says that, that phrase that, that we kind of carry with us through life too. He says, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Now, now, it's that phrase, right? It's that phrase that kind of indicates there's something different about the, the life of a Christian. There's something different between the, the pursuit of happiness and the pursuit of joy. Happiness and joy, they're, they're, they're different things. 
Um, Paul uh, was, was likely not happy in all circumstances. And God never promised Paul happiness. Because happiness inherently is tied to circumstances. When things are bad, when things are hard, when things are, are, are tough, then, then we're not super happy, right? Because our circumstance is down here. And it changes, it goes up and down with our circumstances. But joy is something much deeper because it's not tied to our emotions, our health condition, our, our circumstance. Our joy is tied to Jesus. Through the faith that we have, that we've been connected to Jesus, we are tied to him. And that joy is tied to him and what he has won for us and what he has prepared for us in heaven. It's been kind of cool over the last couple of weeks. We've had a few readings of our second readings have been from um, the book of Revelation. And, and this, you're probably getting sick of me saying it by this point, but uh, this is probably the third week in a row that I've said, here's another picture of heaven for you. Here's another picture of heaven for you. Here's another picture of heaven for you. The book of Revelation was written to a persecuted group of people, people who were, who were being sought to, to, or people who the Roman government was trying to kill at that time. But the book of Revelation was, was such a comfort to those people because no matter what they were going through in life, they knew nothing could take that picture away from them, that that picture of heaven was always theirs, that it was secure for them. That's joy. <laughs> that even when they weren't happy, they had joy. Even when they weren't smiling, laughing, they had joy because their joy was connected to Jesus. So you know, at the end of, at the end of sermons, a lot of times we say um, there's a, a, the, the peace that, that transcends all human understanding. You know that, that line? Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We could say the same thing, right? The joy in, that we find in Jesus supersedes, transcends, goes above anything that could ever happen to us, anything that we could ever feel, any circumstance in life, let Jesus be your joy always. Amen.